Nice win over the Capitals last night. Predators get it done 6-5. Despite Ovechkin's two power play goals. Four goals by the Preds in the third period. 6-5 victory. 3-1 and one on the season. They embark on their first road trip of the year. It all starts out in L.A. tomorrow afternoon at the Staples Center. And I'll have pregame for you starting at 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock. Preds and Keens. There you go, Hal. Let's say hello to Richard Deitch from The Athletic. Richard, how you doing? What's up, guys? What's new and exciting in your world? It's a beautiful day in Toronto. 63 or something like that in October. Can't beat that. So happy, uh, happy God smiling on the weather gods today up here. Yeah, we went out to Denver yesterday. That's where the Titans are on Sunday, and it was snowing in Denver. It's been about Jake. 98 degrees here for weeks. Finally, getting cooler temperatures. Snowing in Denver was the forecast. Mm. Rough year for those Broncos. Too. Well, they did get a win, I think, last week or two weeks ago. But they did. Uh, yeah, uh, well, I'll be. Trust me, I'll be inundated with snow soon enough. It's great. It's great to live up here, same country, same people. But uh, I'm not going to lie, man. That winter is that winter is rough. <laughs> it's real, <laughs> as they say. I saw where Mina Kimes is getting kind of moved up. Her role seems to be increasing at ESPN. Uh, what What do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, listen, they they really like Mina Kimes. You know, you can usually. You get a sense that ESPN, who, and this is, by the way, no knock on me at all, incredibly talented person, but you get a sense that ESPN, who's sort of on their, um, you know, most favored nations list, you see them a lot on all the talk shows, you see them getting pushed in press releases, you see them really uh, all over the brand multimedia-wise. You know, obviously Stephen A. is like sort of the epitome of this, you know, the guy's basically doing everything. Uh, short of running the Longhorn Network at this point. So, you know, you get a sense of who they management really, really likes. And she's up there. You know, they they like her combination of uh, intelligence and reporting ability and accessibility, likability on the air. And so it's a good choice to me to do their daily podcast. Clearly, they're going to try to make it like the New York Times daily for sports, which has been incredibly successful for the New York Times. I will say... Totally self-interest. The Athletic debuted uh, the lead a couple of weeks ago. I'm sure it will be very, very similar to what ESPN is attempting to do. You know, the difference, of course, is you have had ESPN. You got the Godzilla of distribution, so you're going to be popular right away. But it, it's um, it seemed like uh, the time had come. Probably it was we, everybody was really late to do a similar podcast regarding what the New York Times did in terms of really doing 20, 25 minutes on kind of the interesting story of the day in sports, the way they do for news. So, um, so I, yeah, I would expect uh, the media times thing to be very successful uh, in terms of like sort of uh, intelligence and creativity. What kind of downloads it gets, I don't even know if ESPN even cares about it at this point. It's just sort of another branding exercise for them. Talking to Richard Deitch from the Media Circus. He writes for The Athletic. And Richard, uh, how much does it hurt baseball? I mean, I, I hate saying this because I'll watch whoever's in there. I love it. Was a tremendous game the other night. The, the uh, Nationals coming from behind and beating the Dodgers, but not having the Dodgers in at this point, at this critical stage where baseball is trying to hang on to their audience as best as they can. With them out, how much does it hurt? Well, it means there's a Fox Sports executive who can't buy a fourth beach house as opposed to a third beach house. To be very honest with you. <laughs> um, I mean, 
it hurts. Uh, you know, the Dodgers, ultimately, you know, you're, what you're dreaming of if you're a Fox is you want the Yankees-Dodgers. That's basically can't miss in terms of viewership ratings. Both coats, major teams, uh, teams with stars, teams that are a little bit polarizing. So you actually get some uh, a little bit of buzz and juice. And then history, of course, given the Dodgers-Yankees, uh, you know, sort of the amazing history between those two teams. So it's a loss. Um, you know, the Cardinals do have their fans, and they have a, they really uh, draw incredibly well regionally. The Cardinals are the, are the highest-rated regional team when it comes to local baseball ratings, regional sports network ratings. So, you know, that's a pretty good market for them. Uh, the Nationals, honestly, it's not the greatest baseball market in terms of national appeal. I, I think they're an interesting team, actually, just like on a sort of a, just like a story-like level, given, you know, Bryce Harper's gone, they had all these failures, and now they're through to a round they had never been. But I think if you're Fox, you're obviously, at this point, you're really rooting hard for Yankees-Cardinals. That's your um, that's your best bet for viewership. And while the Cardinals are, you know, kind of star- – maybe starless is unfair, given obviously they have some really good players. They're not like the traditional Cardinal team of the past, where I feel like the nation sort of connected with them more. But still, you know, big market, great baseball market. And if you have the Yankees, I think the numbers will be okay. You had uh, a conversation with Phil Sims, and it, it is interesting how a guy's job can evolve. And it, it does seem like he's he's handled himself with a lot of professionalism. And, and I kind of like the chemistry that they've got going on that NFL Today show. Yeah, I think Phil was smart. I mean, one, you know, like all of us, Phil likes money. And these jobs are... You know, these are lottery ticket jobs, I call them. You know, you just, you know, the, the, you're getting seven figures or high six figures to do something in the sports media. I mean, you know, you, you, hit, you essentially hit the lottery. And so he was smart, you know, rather than blow everything up and say, you know, screw you, CBS, you picked Tony Romo, he had no experience. That uh, was a loyal soldier for you for all these years. I'm leaving. He, uh, he decided to sort of, uh, I guess, accept maybe is the right word or, or make the studio work. And I agree with you. For whatever reason, I mean, all these studio shows, if you're going to, I mean, they're sort of nonsense, to be very honest. But if you're going to watch them, you probably watch them because you like the people on there or you're, you like the chemistry. And the chemistry between Burleson Cower, Sims, and Esiason, and James Brown works. It's just, I think they all like each other away from the camera. Uh, you know, you have, uh, at least in the sort of the East, you have two very, very famous quarterbacks from the in the past, you have name recognition. Cower, I think people like and respect. And Nate Burleson is very, very good on TV and not so far removed from the game. And then James Brown's always been a very, very good host in terms of being uh, ego-free. So, yeah, it works. And um, and I appreciate Sims talking to me. You know, I'm, I don't know how much he loves sort of some reporter calling him and saying, you know, I'd like to talk to you about what it's been like the last two years, not being the number one guy on your network, seeing Tony Romo get all the success. But Sims handled it really well, and I think – I think actually I can say this. I think this is not just an opinion. It's sort of an informed opinion. I think part of why a guy like that is able to do what he did here is that as a quarterback, and particularly a quarterback from a small school, I think Moorhead State he was, Kentucky, he had been sort of doubted and cut and had to deal with a lot of stuff as an athlete. And I think he sort of learned, and, and being a quarterback in New York, you sort of get criticized all the time. So I think he sort of just throughout his young adult life learned to roll with the punches and sort of accept things as they came. And I think it made the transition here easier. I also think he's pretty self-aware. You know, he's 63 years old, and he knows that he's not going to be in football television forever. 
they were offering him a pretty good deal if you just sort of don't think about what the job you had before was. And I think he was really smart. To, to me, total blueprint to, uh, you know, if you're getting older and a, and a company offers you a pretty good job, take it and try to make the best of it. Richard Deitz from The Athletic is here with us on Darren, Donick, and Chase. And, Richard, you know, I asked you last week about SmackDown debuting on Fox, 3.88 million total viewers, a big 1.4 rating uh, for Friday Night SmackDown to make its Fox debut. But it was a pretty good week for wrestling overall with Premier Week, with Raw on the USA Network and AEW on TNT. But I thought they, they brought out the, all the stars for SmackDown, and I think Fox should be happy. I love the wrestling talk on your station. Good job by you guys. Um, <laughs> got you. Yeah, no, listen, You, I mean, if you're them, you got – you know, I sort of read internally from some wrestling, uh, like, dot-com sites that the the numbers did not hit Fox expectations or industry expectations. I mean, I'm, I'm not doubting the reporting. That just seems sort of a little off to me. You get nearly 4 million people on a Friday for any kind of programming. Uh, that's a, that's fantastic. I think they have to be overjoyed with their debut. Their debut. Not only do they get good viewership numbers, they they I mean literally had so many people writing about this. They promoted it all over their network, and it's a really good debut. I think the you know the sort of the content of the show itself, if you're a wrestling watcher, I think was pretty good. And they're gonna again this week. They have another you know two very big performers, Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins, going against each other. Uh, the numbers will go down, but I'll be curious to see you know how close they are to the first week. The whole ball game with Fox and AEW and WWE NXT is really like six months, eight months down the road. Like I would expect all these first month numbers to be pretty good. The question will be who six months, eight months from now can maintain sort of close to the audience of their debuts. If they can pull that off, then this is like an over the top hit. If you're Fox, the one thing you hope doesn't happen and the one thing you fear is like, do you lose half your audience eight months from now? Um, so that's to me the more interesting question is what are these shows going to draw, you know, let's say come like February, March, April. Well, and the thing I'm curious about is something that, you know, a lot of sports leagues they have to deal with. They have multiple television partners and the WWE hasn't had that in a while. It's been the USA Network yeah. or NBC. Now they they've made SmackDown the A show and Raw that's been the A show forever is now the B show, but how do they balance that because USA isn't going to, you know, they're not going to take too kindly to like not getting the best talent and things like that. And I know they have the draft starting tonight. So I'm curious of how they balance that. Great question. I agree with you. You know, they obviously want that Fox show to succeed. So they're going to load that Fox show up early with, you know, a level talent like Becky Lynch and you know, obviously put Brock Lesnar on, et cetera. But, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to deplete, you don't want to deplete raw. So, you know, one, the question is, do you have enough talent? Uh, where both shows can draw big numbers. I don't know. You know, that's that's a, a subjective question, and we'll see. But your point is well well taken, is that they have made Fox the A-show. No question about that. But you can't, I think, just make Raw too much of a B-show, or you're really going to hurt USA, and I think you're even going to hurt your own product. So that's really, you know, McMahon's and Eric Bischoff and Paul Heyman and all the creative types behind the scenes. That's their big challenge is can we, can we make these two shows interesting? I will say this, and again, just as a knucklehead wrestling watcher, I, I, I think the product on Raw has been pretty, pretty weak. So I, agree. I think they got, some, they got a challenge there because they, I, I, that show has not been very good. And I love Heyman, and I'm not sure it's his fault. I don't know. I'm just not sure he has the talent on that show. 
to make it to make it work at the moment. So that's they're going to have to develop new talent or come up with a way to maybe, and this is really taxing on the performers, to get some of their really, really big people to work on both shows. I saw that you did a piece uh, for your media circus of having NHL writers discuss how to improve the league's television product, and that's something we've talked about on this show and, and the new TV deals that, that'll be coming for the NHL and what that's going to mean. So what was some of the consensus that you got about improving the uh, the tele- television product? I will say NBC needs a shots on goal counter uh, on their graphics, but other than that, what have you learned? Yeah, I mean, obviously, most of the writers certainly that was one of the first things they said was they have to have that. I, I think most of the, the the best suggestions that I got from the writers were um, really just putting more data and analytics into broadcasts and going beyond just like you know uh, surface commentary and maybe getting more into tactics to sort of explain to viewers um, you know why things happen. And the other thing, and this is sort of usually the answer for all sports, is you know, get microphones uh, and, and get get us closer to the ice. You know, some of the suggestions were uh, in-game interviews with players or miking up the players and sort of figuring out how that works, but just basically better access when it comes to on the ice. And then we had a couple, and this, again, was very much subjective on talent, that they thought the NBC studio crews were pretty weak and particularly negative. And maybe you can get a change in the sort of the Milbury Ronick um, grouping. I don't think that's a bad suggestion. Now, I don't necessarily know who the replacement should or would be, but the one thing I will say is hockey, at least in my lifetime, they've never had like a college game day. They've never had an inside the NBA. They've never had any kind of destination studio show, in my opinion, before or after games. And if they could figure out how to do that, um, I think it'd be smart. You know, the one thing, and again, I'm, I'm not saying go down this road, but you know, like the the podcasts that have attracted like massive attention. I hear Spitting Chicklets. I think that's out of the Barstool Sports Group and some other ones. Like they've been able to get young fans like really interested in the game. And I think one way NBC should sort of think about heading forward is how do they reimagine their studio show? Because I think that might be a way to to get some people excited about hockey. We were talking uh, earlier about the Predators road trip, and it will be in Vegas, uh, sandwiched in between LA and Arizona. And how Vegas is on a collision course to be a four-sport professional sports town here in probably the next five years. Do you agree or disagree? Uh, well, that's a good question. Obviously, the Raiders are coming, and obviously, you have the Golden Knights. Uh, my, I think uh, you know, I think I think I certainly will. I think basketball is going to be there. They already have the summer league. Baseball would be the only one that I'm not sure about. Uh, I know they've played there before. It would be a super, super temperature issue to me, like a hot, a very hot climate to play, which would seem, I think, a pretty big disadvantage for whatever that team is. Um, my other thing would be, you know, I, I would need more data in terms of how the Raiders do to get a sense of how baseball would do. Like, I need to see the Raiders drawn 60, 65, 55,000. And then that would convince me that, okay, you can put a baseball team there and they draw, you know, 30-plus or something like that if the team was good. So I would say it's very possible, but I would be a little bit of a skeptic on the on baseball. I do think it would only be a matter of time before basketball gets there. You don't think the A's would be – I mean, the A's and the Rays, right? I mean, we, we just keep having this conversation, but you, we, you just have to feel at some point – 
they're going to have to pull the plug. I mean, neither one of them are, are anywhere near closer to getting that new stadium that they desperately need. So at what point are they going to, you know, bail out of those markets? I think they're going to bail out. It's just going to be a question of is it going to be Vegas, is it Montreal, will it be Nashville? Um, but, yeah, I think they're def- I think Tampa Bay is done uh, in within 10 years. Uh, Oakland is a little trickier because, you know, there's always talk about a new stadium or, you know, they're going to lose the Raiders. Does that mean more dollars can be invested there? But uh, Tampa Bay for sure is, I think, will not have baseball 10 years from now. Could definitely see Oakland too. Uh, you know, the big question for Major League Baseball and Manfred is, are they going to expand? And if they expand, how many teams? And if they expand, where? There's never been a market lose three professional sports teams, right? I mean, Oakland would be a first, right? Nobody's ever lost three professional sports teams, or am I wrong? That's a good question. Uh, let me think about this off the top of my head. And New York lost the Dodgers. I feel like they lost another team at one point, too. Um, no, Rent, I we can't. know I mean, St. Louis has lost football. Atlanta's lost, lost hockey. Yeah. They lost the Giants because they moved to San Francisco. Right, but that's like we can think yeah, of so lots of one too. sport examples, right? But is there even a two sport example? Yeah, you, it's a good, very good question. I'm sure one of your uh, listeners would. They lost. No, but yeah, they lose I mean, the that's, Nets? that's rough. I mean, that's, that would be. I mean, that's a that's a rough thing. Oh to, my gosh, uh, go through. And, yeah. you know, but you know, again, there. I, I do as much as I'm a big sports fan. I do sort of side with you cannot overpay to keep these teams you can't destroy your tax base you can't like not fund certain services to keep a sports team there at the same time they're obviously very important culturally they give a city um they give a city sort of an identity but at a certain point you know if if the team you know there are just some sports that probably don't work in certain markets and you know, we're finding out, certainly like baseball in Tampa Bay, it like worked for a little bit, but it hasn't worked long term. Um, you know, in the same way, like if Alabama football was located in New York, I realize that's not going to happen. But like, I don't know if it would work there. It's just there's not a history of college football sort of week in, week out. There's a lot of other sports there. So it's, it's not a birthright, per se, that every sport works in every city. The other thing about the, the, the demographics of the United States is, you know, cities get bigger, more people come to cities and and those cities sort of become more attractive for uh, ownership. Obviously, that's where Nashville is one. You wouldn't have thought that Nashville would have had a, uh, you know, a football team, a professional MLS team like 25 years ago. But, you know, more people have come to the city. It's got a different sort of feel, more money, and things change. I guess I bring it up because we have that – we've seen this in cities, right, where they've lost, let's say, big factories or a car plant – and you know, just basically, the city just erodes. I mean, it just—it's never the same. And you wonder how does a city like Oakland ever recover, or what do they look like ten years after losing three professional sports teams? Well, the question for Oakland would be—I feel like you know—and again, not being any kind of city expert in Oakland, but probably tied more to the you know the California economy and jobs there. But it you know it it is a city that has collegiate sports you know it's uh, cal is there they're not so far from stanford and that area so it's not the rest of sports but i think at a certain point you know you're not going to see oakland ever be a three or four sports city again it may just be you know a city with one pro sports team but you know all of these owners you know whether it's the warriors 
or whether it's you know whoever the Clippers, they're 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 about one singular thing, and that's commerce and money. And they will try to stay in a city as long as they can if the conditions that city gives them are profitable. If not, they will leave. It is we have seen this time and time again. There are, in my opinion, are very very few owners with a distinct loyalty to a city. There are some, like I, you know, I don't think as long as Jerry Jones was alive, he'd ever move the Cowboys. Um, but you know, I think for most of these guys, they would they would jet out of town if they got a better offer from a from a populace elsewhere. Yeah, good point. Uh, good stuff as always. You have a great weekend, and uh, I hope whoever they're going after, they get caught. And we'll talk to you <laughs> soon, Richard. Think, think, yeah, I think they're going after some defensemen from the Maple Leafs. I'll let you know if they go. Wow. Nice line on the way out. Richard Deitch from The Athletic. Good stuff there. Uh, the Maple Leafs gave up seven last night to the yeah. Lightning in their 7-3 loss at home. We'll come back. Final hour. Pick six. That's next.